Welcome back to a very, very special episode of Beanie and Cardell, Cardell and Beanie, brought to you by our lovely, lovely partners, Raising Canes. Gotta love it. They Gotta fill us it. up every time. You want a good treat? Go out to Canes. Uh, I'm sure they're on DoorDash, Uber Eats, all that great stuff. Order it, get it there, get a good meal. Love it, love it. Tailgating at its finest with yes, some sir. of that good Kings and getting ready for the national championship game, the Buckeyes <sighs> versus Alabama. Birdman hand rub right here, boy. <laughs> That's for sure. Fish. But before we dive into that, even though I'm so pumped up about this national championship, we got to recap this Clemson game. Oh, for sure. Man, that was nothing short of amazing. You know, when I sat there and we were talking about it last week and I gave my prediction of the game, I said 31 to 25, and I'm like, damn, was I off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was off in a drastic way. Um, I anticipated Ohio State to play much better than we played versus Michigan State, or sorry, Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship. I don't know that I can sit there and say that I expected that performance out of them. Same here. And if I sit here and say, oh, yeah, I expected that, you know, I had it a closer game and I had it a, um, a, a shootout in the way all through the game, not just the first quarter. Um, I sit here, I'd be sitting here in the line if I said I expected that performance today. I mean, we knew the Buckeyes were capable of an explosive offense and a, and a really, really, really good defense, mm-hmm. but not to that extent to shut down one another top team in the country. Right. And when, when you look at it, man, them having the ability to step up and play in such a major way after everything they've been through this year, yeah. it makes you wonder, bro, what if they had played 10 games? How yeah. far along would they be? Would they be even that much more better? I, mean, I think you got to ask yourself that question because when you watch them come out in every phase uh, and be dominant, obviously there were some miscues in the pass game or, or starting a defensive pass game. Uh, but – Outside of that, for the most part, every phase to be dominant, it makes you wonder, like, man, is this team really just now starting to hit its stride? And if so, you're hitting it at the right dang on time. Oh, for sure. And you think about the, some of the comments that coaches was making when they was ranking the Buckeyes, when they got ready for the top, you know, college football playoff with the top four teams, and, and they try to hold it against them, not only – I mean, I'm playing six games. Well – in a regular season, six games, you're only at halfway point. You're not even at that peak yet of right. the potential of your team as a player or nothing like that. And we sit here, we try to, we try to, we we try to wrap our minds around why certain guys are now hitting the scene or, or taking such big leaps in their performance. Well, you got to think about it. Yes, end of the season, but in normal times, it's just be midway season where you see these guys make these strides mm-hmm. and you see these guys start to separate themselves from other teammates, from other position battles, and from other guys around the country. And the Buckeyes are definitely in that sweet spot where they just keep getting better. And you see, you look at other teams who's playing in the bowl game and you look at um, – you know, the way Clemson played, you, you, they were almost at their, their peak greatness as a team because mm-hmm. they already hit all they, they already hit all those roadblocks. They already hit all those potholes in right. a row to get to where they were. The Buckeyes were still climbing that mountain to clearly get to the point where they were last week and still climbing and to finish it all off. Yeah, man. It's, it was a beautiful sight, man. If, if you had to, uh, you know, write a script, and we're just talking about this game. Obviously, we know everything isn't over. We still got one more and a big goal at the end of the day. But if you had to write a script, man, I don't think you could have wrote a better one for Ohio State thus far uh, where we're at um, in this season, man. To be able to go out and to get a chance to play the team that I think, quite frankly, everybody feels you got screwed by last year yeah. uh, by some referees and some miscues, to get a chance to go back at them and play them and you hear their coach all week long talking about, or really all season long talking about how you're undeserving. He ranks you the 11th best team. And you to go out there and put a performance and, and, and to cap it off 
uh, uh, a revenge tour like that, boy, oh boy. Oh, for sure. That was beautiful. It, it, I got to ask you, man, if you had to pick one position group, one player as the most impressive, kind of like MVP, where would you go? Um, are we talking about during the season? Or no, just this, just this game. This is game? Yep. I'm going to have to go with the unsung hero, uh, Trey Sermon, man. I, I think just the way that he has um, proven himself the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. and definitely this game and, um, you know, picking up some pretty good blocks in the past game, picking up uh, some unbelievable runs in the run game and then and just being that, that security blanket and that check down blanket for Justin when things are not open downfield to check right. it down and, and still have the potential to get a first down on a third and 13. So I'm going to go with him because the growth that we have seen in a player – and uh, um, the ability we have seen in the player thus far, I think he's the most improved in, of that game to me just because how well he plays without the ball right. was the MVP. Yeah, I, I probably uh, – that's one I like too. But speaking on on Sermon, I mean, to watch a guy start the season the way he did, obviously, you know, when you transfer from Oklahoma, I, I think one, I think Justin transferring in here has set the bar so high for any other transfer that we get because we're going to expect him to come in and play and play very well. Right. Um, and now Sermon, to come in, transfer, people expect big things from him, to have that slow start. What do you think it was that was, you know, finally him hitting that switch and kind of taking over and now we're seeing the player that he truly is? I mean, I think it just – it's just a, it's a lot of factors. I mean, you, him trying to learn his teammates, him trying to learn the blocking scheme, him trying to learn the offense, and on top of that, still trying to play at a high level and still mm-hmm. trying to be perfect. He walked in here with a with a chip on his shoulder. To me, he walked in here with a chip on his shoulder and to a position that was kind of up for grabs. Right. So almost I can imagine him almost wanting to be perfect at everything he did. Mm-hmm. You know, and that makes you play slow. Right. You know, you're scared to make mistakes. That makes you second guess yourself at and times. You're thinking, and stuff like you that. Thinking yeah, exactly. You're playing super slow. Exactly. Because now he's trying to, it looked like to me, he's trying to take advantage of each and every opportunity, which you should, but let it come naturally. But right. he knew what was on stake as far as the, pretty much the starting job for the Buckeyes in the backfield and such a, such a prestige position. You know that he wanted to be a part of, and he wanted to kind of, you know, make his mark on his team. And you know, it got to a point where I think everything settled down around him, and he started understanding the offense, started understanding guys around him, and the way guys were playing. I mean, he got playing in a different conference, completely different style of ball, and then um, he just let his play take over. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that we've uh, we've we've seen a running back that we can compare him to here at Ohio State. I mean, he's super slippery, um, and he knows how to, you know, lower his pads and run hard at times, but he's like a glider in the open field. Exactly. And, and I'm, exactly. I'm talking about not like one of those, you know, Zeke is a pound you, pound you, pound you, he'll break one. That isn't Trey. J.K. is a one-cut, shifty dude, will pound you, but can also break one. His running style is so unique, man. Yeah. I love it. I yeah, love what sure. I see out of this kid. And I'm so thankful and happy we got him on our team, man. It's it's going to be amazing to watch, you know, this national championship game and continue to see him progress. But in that game versus Clemson, I thought Ohio State did a fantastic job coming out with an offensive game plan, setting the tone with the run game. For sure. That was something that got us to win the Big Ten championship. And you come out, you ride that hot hand. And I thought Ryan Day did a fantastic job, you know, operating that offense as he normally does. And that's something that me and you talked about, what we think that – how the Buckeyes will come out, and then you continue to run the ball the well as you run it. And and they did. They carried over from the Big Ten Championship game, and that opened up a lot of things downfield. Mm-hmm. You know, the defense started to play a little tighter to the box because, you know, you want to get hats on Sermon and hats on the ball carrier as quick as possible. And then you start taking some of the shots downfield. Now, you know, a guy got a guy beat 
two or three yards on his hip downfield. Right. Or, or or some passes across the middle or some play action, things like that. So it's always helpful. It's always helpful. And, and it's, you know, one thing everybody always asks, what's the quarterback's best friend or what receiver or stuff like that? I say the, the best friend of a quarterback is the run game because mm-hmm. it's set up the play action, it's <laughs> set up the pass game. Right. So, um, and, it keep, and it keeps you clean. So um, when you can run the ball as effectively as the Buckeyes have ran in the last two games, I mean, it's hard to stop. Yeah, man, 100%. You talk about, you know, quarterback's best friend. I mean, the run game is certainly one, but when you got a right receiver like Chris Olave, that don't hurt at all. Oh, uh, for sure. <laughs> you could definitely see his impact on the game and what we missed in the Big Ten Championship. That's one of Justin Fields' go-to guys. Obviously, you know, we have Garrett Wilson, and we know how his, how comfortable he is with him. But when you watch um, Olave have an impact on the field, to be able to just take tops off defense consistently, be able to run uh, the post route – and the slant route to me, like no other in college football this year, it's impressive. And I was texting with uh with Devere Posey, and we were trying to like figure out you know who was his comparison, and he brought up Deshaun Jackson. And first I was like, uh, then you get to really thinking like, yeah, yeah, him and Deshaun Jackson could be the same type of player. Yeah, um, Deshaun may have more top end speed, but I don't know because we hear that Olave is one of the fastest on Ohio State's team. Yeah, yeah. if you're the fastest on Ohio State's team, you're pretty damn fast. That's speaking. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's saying a lot. And I think um, one of the one things that you see from Olave is he's a one cut guy. He's not. He, I think he's way more fast straight away than quick. Right. So that just makes him that much dangerous with threat. When I think of Deshaun Watson, I don't want to see him with the ball in his hands, period. Right. I mean, he the type to take a slant or a bubble screen or anything like that to the house, or yeah. let alone a post or a go route. Yeah, Deshaun Jackson's serious, yeah. man. So, but Olave, I think he was a major deep threat. Um, all around great receiver. His route running, his hands, um, you know, it, I mean, they going against a guy this week that you can kind of compare him to. So it would have been scary to see Olave and uh, the, the Buckeyes with, you know, more games and, and the yards that he could have potentially racked up and some of the um, accolades. But, um, yeah, but they they facing another guy is just like him. Yeah. You know. It's going to be tough this week, man. Um, speaking of this game again, another area in which I am so glad that we got the monkey off our back. Just this one game with this group. And hopefully this is kind of like a trend because every week, and not even just this season, but I'm talking, you know, three, four, five, six, seven years ago, eight years ago, you go and look at the Ohio State offense. You look at these phenomenal receivers we have. And, yeah, we've had tight ends drafted in, you know, third and fourth round, but our tight ends are so vastly underutilized. They'd be wide open. They do a great job in the pass game, but in the uh, – sorry, in the run game – but in the pass game, they'd be wide open. Because <laughs> you don't expect them to get out and pass it. And I, I just remember the times when, um, you know, when I played and, and the things we asked our tight ends to do in the run game. Right. And then when they finally had a chance, you know, to go out for a pass and, and we might miss them or, or kind of skip their read or something like that. They used to be so pissed at us. But, um, wow, what they – you know, I think I was tweeting about it during the game. I was like, where did these tight ends come from? Right. <laughs> you know, they was almost using these guys as an extra lineman in That's some it. of these run plays. And for them to be for them to be heavily utilized in the passing game mm-hmm. and the overall game plan, not just in the run game, it was pretty sweet. And you can tell the Clemson didn't really know how to respond to it. Right. You know, it's a couple of times when they were in a man coverage and um, they left a, a corner on a tight end. <laughs> or in the zone, they just didn't bump, or they didn't have the right, you know, communication between the defense to because they didn't think the guy was going out and getting them pass. Right. So um, that's pretty sweet to see, and uh, I'm excited to see, you know, this upcoming week how we continue to utilize the tight ends in the pass game, not just the run game. And uh, shoot, we should be good. Man, 100%. We should be good. I mean, to me, 
you talk about the check down, and that was something that people uh, talked about. That's something that Ryan Day talked about, you know, him hitting Trey Sermon on the check down. Now you got that other element that you need to pay attention to because, to me, the running back check down and the tight end, you know, five-yard hits, six-yard in or whatever, those are the quarterback safety blanket, safety blanket in the passing game. Those are when you go through those project, progress, uh, progressions out there in the deep field and you look down, nobody there, boom, boom. You got those two individuals right yeah, there. Yeah, usually because you got usually you like the matchup. Right. Usually I would love I would take my running back on a on a on a well, I don't know about these days, but I would take my running back on a lot of linebackers right. these days, um, in a one on one matchup or a check down and vice versa with a tight end. Mm-hmm. And you look at the next level in a in the way that these tight ends are playing down as well, you know, progressing NFL level. I mean, Travis Kelsey just broke the record for, you know, the most yards by a tight end and right. I think he had second or third overall receiving yards in the whole NFL, including receivers. Right. You know, so you you understand how you can use these guys as matchup nightmares. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you put a corner on a guy, you split a tight end out. You put a corner on him, he got the size on him. You put a safety on him, he probably got the most. He probably got the athletic ability and plus size. You put a linebacker on him, he's probably faster. Right. So they're matchup nightmares, and same with the running backs. Man, I, I just can't you know talk about how impressed I was with this team from the offensive line the way they protected Justin, um, him taking the ball down and running and. Uh, I can't remember the linebacker's name for Clemson, but he got ejected from the game. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, man, I do not want him to go out this game. Yeah. Because I thought – initially I thought, oh, he just got the wind knocked out of him because that's the way it looked. It looked yeah. like he hit him kind of ribs. But then when you see him kind of wincing in the pain that he was, yeah. oh, shoot, maybe it's a broken rib. Yeah. And all I could think was like, man, this is going to be the same situation like the year before because we did indeed lose J.K. Dobbins, who was – you know, getting busy to start the game. Exactly, exactly. So I'm like, shoot, what next? But fortunately enough, it wasn't anything, uh, you know, major. And I call it the LeBron James. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, every time on the Brown on the court, somebody touch Brown, somebody follow him a little bit. You know, he <laughs> give the antics and all that. And I, I think uh, Justin was giving those antics a little a, bit. You a know, little, to, but I'm pretty sure the guy was in pain. Oh, no, no, no and, question. And yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a, it was a good hit. But – when he came back the next play, I knew nothing was broken because a broken rib, you ain't throwing the ball, especially on your right side. You ain't throwing the ball. I don't care who you are. You ain't throwing the ball, especially the second play after it just happened. Right. So um, I'm pretty sure that he was sore the next day. Maybe right, some for sure. No ribs question. And stuff like that. But, I mean, he, he showed some grit, man. He he definitely showed some toughness. Um, to I mean, he looked like he had that look on his face from the beginning of the game that he wasn't going to let this team beat him. He wasn't going to mm-hmm. let that guy, Trevor Lawrence, beat him. I mean, when they came out of high school, I think they were the number one and number two Players overall, they were like quarterbacks. thirty minutes apart too, or something. Yeah, exactly. Like crazy. So, um, to to kind of get that monkey off his back from losing and the bad taste in his mouth from losing to a guy, um, last year, mm-hmm. and the guy was ranked, you know, one spot ahead of you. Uh, I think that was pretty cool for him, and I definitely wanted that bad for him, and not just the Buckeyes, but you can tell he wasn't going to be going out that game with. No minor injury. It right. would have took a lot. Exactly. To, and I'm pretty sure a lot of those guys felt that way. It would have took a lot 100%. for them not to be on that field. Um, shoot, what was that, Saturday night? Yeah, this is your chance, man, to, to etch yourself in, in stone in history. Um, so you got to be dragging somebody off the field. Um, but I asked you the question on who you thought was, like, the MVP of that game, unsung hero. Mine was the defensive line coupled with the defensive coordinator. And that last week on the show we talked about – how if Ohio State was going to win, we were going to have to get pressure on Trevor Lawrence. And, yeah. boy, did they do it. The defensive line were animals. It was so many holding calls or so many holdings to where they didn't even call it, which was blowing my mind yeah. 
because of the pressure that they was getting. And then calling the blitz at the right time, sending guys to get in uh, you know, Trevor, Trevor Lawrence's face. I remember one play, I'm watching uh, Tyreek knock him down. And <laughs> this is like he handed the ball off and Tyreek blasted him. All you see yeah. is Trevor Lawrence looking over at the referee. Like, you going to call that? Yeah, it happened. No, a, I ain't going to call that because yeah, he didn't do nothing. Couple, it happened a couple of times. And that's what you got to – and you could tell Coach Combs was stressing. We got to get hits on this guy. We got to get hits on this guy. Get him mm-hmm. uncomfortable. You know, I mean, it, it, it sucks to see if you're a Clemson fan, but it's, it is part of the game. 100%. In the zone read, you handed the ball off. And, like, yeah, you taught to carry out your fake because you can pull another defender backside. But also, when you carry out your fake, you got to understand, <laughs> you're still liable. You're still liable as a quarterback. So when I did zone reads, when I had the Free ball up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So when I did zone reads, when I had the ball up, I used to go lateral. I didn't just go vertical up the field because they can't hit you lateral, but if you go vertical up the field like mm-hmm. you like you got the ball, they can hit you. Right. And that's what they did every time if he had it or not. And that's what I would have done. Right. I would have hit you. Like, hey, you you carry out your fake. Well, I know you ain't got it, but guess what? I think you do. Man, they they It's they, a free hit. They rattled him. Yeah, it's a free hit. That's for sure. I mean, but, I mean, the guy still played his butt off. Yeah, no, he played a hell of a game, without question. But, you know, when you got that pressure on him like that, I mean, that was a recipe for success. Um, I got to ask, man, because, you know, the talk has been out there. You know, Trevor Lawrence, unquestioned the number one pick. Um, A lot of people have had Justin Fields as the number two quarterback um, out there. But a lot of times you got people lately trying to put the BYU quarterback in there. Yeah, yeah. So I got to ask you, man, did Justin Fields prove anything to four where he could jump Trevor Lawrence as the number one pick or did he just solidify himself as the number two quarterback in the draft for sure? Um, when I think it comes to them two, I think it's them two, one and two quarterbacks, however anyone want to rank them, Justin one, uh, Justin one, Lawrence two, vice versa. It's them two than everybody else. No offense to no one, no offense to like all the accolades and who he's been playing, but you can see on that top level what those two players mm-hmm. just did. And put on for their team the way they did. And Lawrence clearly all his career the last three years at Clemson, just in the last couple of years at Ohio State. These are the top two quarterbacks in the draft, no matter who go where, no matter what. Any organization is going to be happy with any one they pick. So, however, someone want to distinguish that and say who's number one, who's number two, where they going, and it's them two and everybody else. Yeah, don't trick yourself, NFL teams and GMs. We watched it happen a couple of years ago where they let Deshaun Watson slide to 12 and they drafted like – Mitchell Trubisky, number one or number two that year, was the first quarterback taken. And obviously we understand Patrick Mahomes, understand that situation. But that was kind of out of there because not a lot of people had knew about him. Um, And then a couple of years or the year after, we watched him do it with um, Lamar Jackson, him going all the way to the last pick in the first round. Don't outthink yourselves. Don't try to throw uh, this kid from BYU up there and say he's the unsung guy that every year we happen to have in the draft that is all of a sudden the greatest thing since sliced bread. Because you're going to regret it. You will, will certainly regret it if you don't go get Lawrence or Justin Fields as one of the top quarterbacks in the country. I can't I can't remember the BYU kid name, but he is a hell of a player. He is a baller, to say the least. But he sliced bread, and Justin Fields and Lawrence is King's bread. Right, so right. Pick, pick your poison. What are you going to do? You're going to take some butter both sides, King's bread, right. or are you going to take some Wonder Bread? Got to get that BBS all day, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, man, going into – uh, this matchup, talking about that now, man, um, looking at Alabama as a whole, they got a chip on their shoulder. Um, understandably, you know, last year they didn't get a chance to get into the uh, national championship because this is what they're used to. They're used to being in the yeah. college football playoff, used to being in the national championship. The year before, they got throttled by Clemson, Clemson. in the national championship. So 
you got to look at it from the perspective Nick Saban is used to winning. He's used to being in those situations to where he's controlling the narrative. And now that's been no longer. But, boy, do they got some damn beast on their football team. And, you know, if, if any year for those guys that kind of, you know, stake their claim back as the top dog, this would be the year because of how they played and because of the people they have on their team. What scares you the most about Alabama? I don't I want to say what scares me. I think what worries me the most is their, their offensive firepower. Right. Um, Alabama is used to having – one or one offensive standout. You look at well, last year they had two, the two receivers and stuff like that. But um, and then two as well. But you used to having like one guy that you know you had to shut down and stop. My year it was really Amari Cooper, and then Derek Henry kind of he kind of came on the scene that year as well. But um, thinking about them this year, man, they got some weapons on the offensive side of the ball, and I'm just happy that. Okay, I, I don't know how to say this. Weddle, I'm not happy that he's hurt, but I'm happy he's not playing in this game. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy that he's not playing in this game. Um, but they got some weapons, man, in the passing game, starting with the quarterback, starting with – and then working your way to the receivers and a pretty good tight end and definitely that beast that of a man-child in the backfield, Najee Harris as well. Yeah. So they got some legit weapons, and they always have a really, really good offensive line. Um, I, you, This is one of the first times that I can really think of that Ohio – I mean, not Ohio State, Alabama offensive power – overshadows their defense abilities. And uh, that's, that's kind of scary. Even though they still got a really good defense, they know for having those draws, four, three, four first-rounders on defense every other year. But now they got legit two, three, maybe four first-rounders on uh, offense this year. Right. So that's what I'm worried about the most is the offensive firepower. But I would take – I'll tell you something right now. I would take their performance versus Notre Dame. I would take Ohio State performance versus Clemson over – Alabama performance versus Notre Dame if we both play that way. Right. And that's one of the things that I'm I'm excited about is obviously they're a great football team on the offensive end. On the defensive end, they're a good team too. But one of the things that we talked about in weeks prior on the show was the lack of tackling. And Alabama's been no different than anybody yeah. else in the country on the defensive side of the ball when it comes to tackling and playing good defense. They've been struggling. Yeah. And the the best tackle I've seen from Alabama this year is actually when uh, the guy from Florida got an interception, the receiver knocked his head off right. in the, in the SEC championship <laughs> game. So long as that receiver is not playing on defense, right. it should be good. Man, and, and that's one of the <laughs> things that I'm just – I'm more confident about, I should say, is Ohio State matching. I think we can score with anybody in the country. For sure. Bottom line, I don't care – who it is. I think our offense can go up against anybody's offense to keep up with them. Flip side on the defensive side of the ball, now knowing that and knowing that this isn't the greatest Alabama defense we're used to seeing, that gives me confidence right there that Ohio State will be able to look good and play damn well in this football game on the, from an offensive standpoint. And, and hopefully we bring the same type of defense that we brought last week. Um, for sure. For sure, because we're gonna need the energy. We're gonna need, you know, we're gonna need our front seven to step up again. Um, like we mentioned earlier, that the whole defense graded out as champions mm-hmm. last week, and it's because I think because they the way they shut down the run game. Right. I mean, you, um, golly, I forgot Clemson's running back name, but the, he's a leading rusher in the ACC history. Etienne. yeah, he's a leading rusher in uh, ACC history. Uh, and for him to have the success that he had last year on us mm-hmm. in the run game and some of the checkdowns that he had, man, we completely eliminated him this year. Right. You know, so you gotta get you gotta tip your hat to the front seven, and that's what it's gonna take versus you know the best running back in the country this year. I mean, this week. Yeah. Um, looking at this this offense, especially looking at that receiver. What's his name? Smith. Smith. Uh, Devontae Smith. Devontae right? Smith. Dude, legit 
could win the Heisman, probably should win the Heisman. If they don't want to think it's just a quarterback of the award, I think you got to give it to this kid. I think kid. you give it to him. I know um, we talked about that. I think you <laughs> give it to him. <laughs> he's going with Blitnikoff. Um, looking at our defense, understandably, we got to get pressure on the quarterback. But also, I think in this situation, there are going to be times to where you have to pull somebody from a certain coverage perspective to shade over to where he's going to be. Would you agree? Um, I think so. I mean, you got to give respect where respect is due. So right. that's one of the top. I mean, we got an All-American corner. It's going against an All-American receiver. But um, you still got to respect that the guy is is in the Heisman Trophy uh, conversation for a reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did it. We had two first-round draft picks at corner, Eli Apple and Garyon Clowney that year, and Duran Grant as well. And um, we shaded and, you know, had help over top of Amari Cooper. And the right. guy still had two touchdowns on us. Mm-hmm. And that just speaks to how you got to get respect what respect is due. I mean, right. he's a top guy. We got top guys. But we're trying to win. It's, 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 it's not about it's not about ego. It's not about um, um, top dog versus top dog. It's about – Playing a style of football is about game planning for to eliminate their weapons. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things we may have to do. Well, Najee Harris is a beast. Dude is certainly good. I just don't think Alabama is going to come out and beat Ohio State running the football. They're going to gash us. They're going to have some runs. But solely running the football, they won't beat Ohio State that way. It's going to be because of those playmakers, because of Jones and his ability to distribute to those playmakers. That's why, man, I'm a little bit nervous. I want to say nervous. I'm just a little bit kind of – Curious as to what Combs and our defensive staff is going to do to protect uh, any one of our defensive backs from being on the island with that dude because he's that dangerous. Yeah, I don't think you put ourselves in a situation to be a one-on-one with mm-hmm. him. Uh, just because he is a complete receiver, he can take it out. He can take it deep. He can take it short. He can make you miss. He's quick. He's fast. He's big. He's strong. I mean, he's a he's a prototypical NFL receiver. Mm-hmm. And, but Alabama's known to have these guys. I mean, <laughs> you look at uh, freaking Julio Jones, look at Amari Cooper, and then um, Ruggs and um, Ju- Judy. Uh, Judy last year. I mean, you, they was, two, they was uh, smaller guys as you used to see them, but they were still top guys. And that's crazy. You know? This dude was uh, unknown last year, bro. Last year you this got, is a senior. Last year you got Ruggs, you got Judy, and you got Weddle, and then you have him. Right. It's, it's only one football. Bro, that's and you a- got Najee Harris. It's only one football. A super embarrassment of riches if you're Alabama and you're looking at the talent that they have. Obviously, Ohio State has kind of a similar situation, but dang, when you talk about three receivers in two years that's going to be first-round picks, I mean. Four. Is, is Weddle's four? still going to go. Oh, yeah, you're right. Weddle's so still four. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weddle's still going to go first round. Because he's the number one receiver going into this year. And I think, you know, I think y'all heard the second game of the season and he was on pace to have an unbelievable year. Right. You know, so um, you still, I'm still taking that guy first round. <laughs> I took him first round last year. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so this is this is going to be an interesting matchup, man. Looking at this game, um, yeah, I'm excited about it. I know you guys are excited about it. We're going to take this quick Canes break, and we're going to be back to talk more about the game and more about our specific guys who we believe is going to have a chance to make a huge impact in this game. If raising Cane's secret cane sauce was the end zone, no one would ever lose a game. Crispy, crinkle-cut fries, touchdown. Buttery Texas toast. Touchdown! Hand-battered, cooked-to-order chicken fingers. Touchdown! Freshly made tea and lemonade. Well, you get the point. Go for the win this game day with Canes. Raising Canes Chicken Fingers. Proud sponsor of Ohio State Athletics. One love. Welcome back. We got back from my Canes break. If you see me, like, licking my teeth and my tongue just swishing around my mouth, (laughs) it's just me getting this Canes out of my mouth, man. And I had to get a couple... Pieces of this was lovely. 
So always, yeah. always. But we got some breaking news that's just developed um, during our break that Alabama receiver Jalen Weddle was cleared to practice Ooh. and could potentially play this week. Sheesh. That could be – that's going to be a problem. It could. I would say deadly, but it's going to be a problem. Even if the guy – the guy hasn't played since week two, I think. Even if he's on the field, he's going to demand attention. Mm-hmm. It's one of the, the fastest guys in the country was the number one receiver, number two receiver going into this year behind my guy at LSU. Um, and a, a straight baller, you know, and um, versus a, a defense – that we had questions about their back four all year. Right. Um, we just spoke about how we think that we're going to contain Smith by, you know, sometime maybe double coverage in them or, or demanding him a lot of attention. It would be hard to double two guys all game. Yeah. So tough. It would be hard. It would be hard. But um, even if you don't double Weddle because you say, well, he's coming off injury. This is his first game back. He just practiced, you know, three days, four days before a national championship game. Um, is he really going to be ready? Even if – even even if that's the situation, clearly he's going to be on a play count, but he's going to demand attention each and every play. Look, he's Even if he's a decoy. He's a receiver. He knows how to run routes. I mean, yeah. the, the, the biggest thing when it comes to a receiver, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, and uh, him being able to get back out there and be able to be dominant, is just a relationship with the quarterback. For sure. He knows how to run routes, so those are going to be there. Now that relationship with the QB, obviously, you know, they had a the little bit of time in the offseason, the game that he played, but – it ain't going to be a huge drop-off unless this dude is just a – just physically can't do it. Yeah. And just, I don't even know why they would put him out there if he physically couldn't do it, especially going into a draft-type situation. Yeah, for sure. So if he's playing, you better believe he can do it physically. And the only thing that it's going to be is just the quarterback catching his eye. So exactly. we've got to be worried about this cat. Exactly, exactly. So we'll see as time gets closer. But let's get to our, our questions for right. the day. Uh, first question is coming from Bazell24. And as uh, what part of plan for a natty that non-players wouldn't know about? What's your favorite part? I would have to say, other than everything everybody see on TV, you know, the celebration of rings, the championship trophy, I would have to say the bowl gifts. Yeah. The bowl gifts. Um, you get some great bowl gifts, not just for the national championship game, but each and every bowl that you play in, especially a major BCS bowl. And um, I think the year we played, I think we got recliners, I think we got like a 42 inch TV. Oh shoot, y'all was um, like yeah, like in like a um, a, um, a nice uh, what was that gift card to? It was a, it was a Visa gift card. Uh-huh. One thing I know about our coaches that they always just say like it give the players the opportunity to just say, hey, do you guys want the bowl gifts or see how much money we can get like on a gift card for you? And clearly us, we always just pick the money. Right. Like, hey, <laughs> see if we can get the Best Buy gift cards or the, just the Visa gift card. We can spend it wherever we want and stuff like that. But the year we played the national championship game, that's what we got. We got recliners, TVs, other apparel, and then um, there may be like another couple of gift cards to some popular stores to like a um, Best Buy and things like that. And then, uh, but the major one that we all was loving was the $350 gift card we got, Visa gift card. Oh, that's it was, love. It was, it was the best. So. I mean, you get a nicer client there, but you, you want that money. Let me spend oh, that sure. money and oh, see what sure. I can go get. I can get these J's or whatever. <laughs> oh, for sure. No, the funniest part, because clearly all your teammates are, all your all your guys on the team, our roommates was one another guy, and then, you know, we got these crappy little apartments and stuff like that, right. and we all come home with these huge recliners. <laughs> I can only imagine the freshmen taking these huge recliners to their dorms. Right. So, you know, I remember me and my roommate, Tyvis Powell, we had like a, like a, uh, like a a small couch, and then uh, our living room was 
not even this size. And we come in there with two big recliners. I'm like, we're going to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> so them things took up our whole living room, pretty much our whole apartment. But they were definitely worth it. Uh, for me, I would say that the bowl gifts as well. Um, you get some sweet bowl gifts. I played in two national championships. Obviously lost both of them, as you guys <laughs> know. Uh, but we got some pretty cool stuff. And just the experience. So one of the reasons why I believe that we lost the 2006 national championship, 2007 Florida. game versus Florida, was we were in Arizona. And I remember, what was the game? Probably on the third. And the, it was on, maybe it was on the second. So New Year's Eve, we went out that night, the whole team. Um, obviously, Troy came off the Heisman. We were in Scottsdale, Arizona, partying like rock stars. <laughs> and I'm dead serious. When I say partying like rock stars, partying like rock stars. It's Cedric Entertainer over there at one section. It's a bunch of other people over. Bro, Edger and James. <laughs> Edge is at a – this is the craziest thing ever, man. This is when I knew – this is what, this is when I knew Glenville Cats was different, right? <laughs> so, Edge is – over there, he see all of us come in. He obviously know we out there for a bowl game. Um, Edge is like, man, y'all want some drinks or nothing like that? Curtis Terry. You know Kurt. You know Dirk Kurt. <laughs> just talk to This is what I knew Glenville dudes was good. This is Edge, Hall of Fame running back. Got all the money in the world. It's offering you a drink. And you want a drink. This is what you want to do. He said, no, I'm going to go buy some bottles. I'm going to pop bottles over here. <laughs> Edge was like, excuse me. Oh, you got it, young fella? Yeah. How are you telling this dude that just signed a $30 million contract with Arizona that, no, you good, you going to go pop some bottles? This is when I knew that stunt in Glenville was real. That's real. That's Dirk Kurt for sure. Real. But anyways, real. man, we, we're out here in the club, and we're living it up. Um, you know, women everywhere, yeah. bottles everywhere. The whole team is there. Larry Grant, I remember, uh, and I might be talking too much, but – I remember we call them G's. I remember G's being um, in the club drinking. Next thing I know, him, Kurt, and somebody else got their shirt off in the middle of the club. I'm like, bro, we got a game in a day and a half at this point, and you are wilding. So, man, one of the reasons why I do believe that we lost that game is because of how we party. And we were all we were thinking about was, all right, we're gonna beat Florida. They had already lost one game. We were yeah. undefeated. We were thinking about we're going to go down as the best team in college football history because at this point, no team has ever beat three number twos in the season. Yeah. So that year we beat Texas on the road. We beat Michigan, Michigan. in the one versus two. Yeah. And Florida's number two. Oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. We're going to ride off to the sunset as the greatest team in college football history. But, boy, did Florida have another. <laughs> they had, the <laughs> they had other plans. But, man, yeah. the boat trips, fun as heck. Yeah. I remember the following year we go down to New Orleans. This time, I didn't leave the hotel. But I remember hearing everybody, how they talked about how they kicked it on Bourbon Street and this, that, and the third. Uh, so the bowl trips and, and just the, the gifts and the fact that you get a chance to get a mini vacay because you're down there for like a week yeah, uh, before the game. So those are the best things that yeah. you don't really know about. Yeah, good time, good yeah, time. Let me uh, – me a second question. <laughs> find a second question right here. Curtis, Terry, oh, my oh, God. Dirt Curtis, something else. Uh what point total do your Buckeyes? What point total do the Buckeyes need to keep Bama? Need to keep Bama at to win? Okay, I'm saying. I guess he's saying, where do they need to keep Bama at yeah. to win a game? Um, I think you got to keep Bama under thirty points. I was just gonna say exact same yeah. thing. I keep the team under. 30 I think points. you keep them under thirty points. I think we can score. Like I said, with anybody, I think we're gonna score a lot of points in this game. Uh, and our offense is gonna have to be hit on all cylinders. But you, if you keep them at 30 points, I think you got a dang good chance uh, of controlling this game and winning. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. 30 is the magic number. You keep them under as well. But um, if we get into a shootout, I am extremely confident with our offense versus their offense mm -hmm. in a um, head-to-head shootout. Um, but, yeah, I, I think 30 points is definitely that sweet point that you got to keep this team under because this is an explosive offense and you don't want them to get rolling. All right, so we're about to do something real quick, man. Cardell, we ain't never done on the show before. And don't take offense to it, Buckeyes, but we're about to give the edge. We're about to go through position groups. Oh, okay. As a whole. Right. And <clears throat> you're going to tell me who you give the edge to, and I'll tell you who I give the edge to. Okay. I got you. Let's go. All right. First up, defensive back position group, Ohio State or Alabama? I'm going to take Alabama's because they're more physical, and I think Patrick Sertain Jr. is the best DB in the country. Um, but I don't think uh, – I just think overall um, the success they had on the back end is a little bit more than ours. And – um. And they have a little more experience. So I'm always going to give it to experience over – usually experience over talent. So yeah. I'm going to go with Alabama. I, I think I'm the same way right there. I think I'll go with Alabama and the defensive back as a whole in its entirety. Although we do got some single-off good players at our, in our secondary. We're talking about whole. And you, you mentioned something that, uh, you know, you really can't get enough of, and that's experience. Yeah, yeah. And those guys has a lot of it definitely on the back end. And uh, Patrick Sartain Jr. is a stud. I mean, Sean Wade is a stud for us. But uh, if, we, if we're taking them as a whole, like I said before, I'm going to go with Alabama. All right. Linebacking core. Who gets the edge? I'm going to go with Ohio State. Yeah. I'm going to go with Ohio State. I'm going to speak on again with experience. I mean, we got a three-, four-year captain, and we are up uh, one of our linebackers, and we got that group been playing for three years together now. And um, they can do a lot of different things. You know, you see Browning um, rush the pass on a lot of um, – uh, third and long situation, stuff like that. So I'm going to go with our linebackers over Alabama's. Me too, man. I, I love, uh, you know, Borland, Warner, and Browning. And, and there's been talk at times um, that when Borland kind of gets in space, he's not the greatest. And, I mean, that's going to be the case. A lot of times in certain situations where you got guys that have a weakness. His weakness happens to be in space. But when we talk about a hard-nosed downhill linebacker, yep. there ain't too many that's going to be better than him. Um, and, and that linebacking core – it's very good together, and that's why you call them a core because when one slips off, you got somebody else to pick up to exactly. where, uh, you know, they're not as successful at. But I'll take that linebacking core over uh, Alabama's defensive line. Um, I'm also going to go with Ohio State's yeah. um, just because of um, not the lack of experience. I mean, the guys are experienced. Cooper, I mean, he's a fifth-year senior, I think, and then um, um, Haskell Garrett and uh, Tommy Tokio. Um, are, are pretty good players, but they play really good together. And I kind of been on them all year because we're missing that one stud mm -hmm. guy like we used to see it. But um, they complement each other really, really well. And um, they've been coached by the best defensive line coach in probably the history of the game, uh, Coach Johnson, Coach Larry Johnson. And um, he, he have them boys rolling and up ready for this game. So I'm going to go with our defense line. Yeah, I got to go with our D-line too, man. Those dudes are beasts, especially when you look at how they played last week and know that that potential is there. I'm going to go with them. I love the way they play as a unit. Like you said, we don't have that marquee guy. And I think this year is kind of helping us because yeah. not everybody's it's, it's bringing forcing, it. Yeah, it's forcing everybody to step up. And I mean, the reason why I'm really giving them the edge over Alabama defensive line, which you're not used to hearing, you know, you giving someone else the edge over their defense line. They used to having great guys. They rotate a lot of guys, which is good for them. Mm -hmm. But you can tell they don't have that 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 group yet that they can go toe-to-toe. -to -toe 60 plays, well, yeah. They right. rotate a lot of guys up front. I mean, um, and I think that's just because of the lack of experience and talent they have that they're not used to having up front. So, I'm going to go with Ohio State's. Yeah. All right, switching over to the offense. Offensive line, our big boys up front. 
uh, versus Alabama. I'm going to go It's a tie. I'm going to go a tie. This is the only <laughs> one I'm not looking forward to doing because it's hard when you sit here and think about the offensive line. I mean, Alabama has, I think, one or two All-Americans up front. I mean, their left tackle, I forgot the kid's name, he's going to be a first-round pick one day, and he's a freaking stud, and they run the ball really well, and they, and they protect the quarterback. So, and you look at off, uh, Ohio State offensive line, they run the ball really well, and they protect the quarterback. So, I'm going to definitely go with a tie there. It's definitely a toss-up. Um I think they have the better tackles, but I think we got the better interior guys. I agree 100% with that. They have the better tackles. We have the better interior guys. But I think I got to go with them because I think their interior guys are very good. From a consistency standpoint, you look at how many times their quarterback has been hit and on the ground, and you look at ours. Um, I don't like how much Justin has been hit. Obviously, he gets outside the pocket, and we understand that. But there's been times, certainly in the pocket, to where we could have been a little bit better. Yeah, but I but think we can, are good. You can attest that to some of the things that we said about Justin earlier this year, that sometimes we may think that he holds the ball a little bit too right. long because he's trying to make the bigger plays and not just throwing the ball away or getting to a check down faster. I don't think that was the case versus Clemson. I mean, to get plays on there, he was checking the ball down mm-hmm. and throwing it away. So, But, um, yeah. It's close for sure. It is. It is, definitely. I think that's the closest battle that we're going to see as far as overall talent or, or as a toss-up is the offensive lineman on both offensive line on both teams. I'm gonna go quarterback. I think our quarterback is better. Period. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I, I think I think um, I definitely I'm going with Justin just because um, I mean he he's been proving it. This is his second year as a starter and he's putting up great numbers and uh, leadership and things like that. And I mean the knock on, on Mac Jones is that um, you know people think he got too many weapons. Mm-hmm. You know, but he's still making some of them big time plays. Still making some of them big time throws. You can't, you can't doubt his ability. But Justin got a lot of weapons around him as well. But I'm just taking Justin because when he get outside the pocket or he tuck the ball and run, he's that much more of a threat. Yeah, um, and I, I like Jones without question. But you probably may not remember this guy, Jason White. Jason White was a quarterback for Oklahoma. Won a national cha- or not? He won a national championship and he won a Heisman Trophy. Um, that's who Mac Jones is to me. He's Jason White all day nice, long. Yeah, yeah dude was a Heisman Trophy winner. Stand in the pocket, can sling it, but that's it. Yeah. I mean, uh, and he was surrounded by talent. Yeah. Um, no knock on him. I just, I mean, he's a Heisman Trophy winner, Jason White. So, Mac Jones, that's who I compare you to. I think Justin Fields is tremendously better. Um, going to receiving core. This is going to be tough right here. But we are talking as a core, yeah. as a uh, core group. <clears throat> I'm a, as a core group, I'm going to have to go with Ohio State. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with as a group because at, at any given time you pick your poison. Even though, you know, this year when I started to watch Alabama and I, and I saw Smith take off the way he was taking off, it reminded me of the year of Amari Cooper. Mm-hmm. But then you start to look at the stats of the other players and how many targets they was having. When we played Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, Cooper had like – like 100 catches, or like, I think it was like 110 targets, like 89 catches, and the next guy closest to him that had catches was like 40, mm-hmm. or like 28 or something crazy. And that's what I thought the Smith, this was going to turn out to be. But it's not, though. I mean, Mac is, he's, he's uh, Jones is distributing the balls all around the field, but you just got that big play threat in Smith. So I'm going to go with Ohio State, receiver yeah. core. I'm going to Ohio State, too, because I think top to bottom, we got the two guys out the gate, you know, Garrett Wilson and Olave. Then we got the young guys, Smith and Joby, um, Fleming. Uh, I mean, it's really, he's going to be really good. Exactly. We got a, a bunch of guys on that roster that can go out and play and be productive uh, at any given point. Um, running backs. 
I, I'm going to have to go with Alabama. I'm going to just go with Harris because he's more proven. He's got more experience. And, you know, hats off to Alabama offense this year because this is the first time in college history that, you know, a guy had 20 rushing touchdowns and a guy had 20 receiving touchdowns. Yeah. So they're completely balanced on offense, and, you know, and, and that's proven. That's why the offensive coordinator get the big job at Texas. But um, I'm going to have to go with Harris just because of experience, and um, he's proven each and every week. Yeah, I think I'll go there too. Uh, although Trey Sermon is a beast, yeah. but I, as a whole, I think you know we're talking about core here. Najee Harris is a beast, and every single year Alabama just rolls him out from the running back spot and the number one receiver spot every year. Um, Ohio State's kind of been no different. Uh, obviously, we had some drop off at the beginning of the year, but I would give the edge to those guys at that position group. Um, coaching, head coach, this is. Uh, this is tough. You look at Nick Saban and what he's meant to the game of football, not just uh, at Alabama, just in general. You look at everything that he's done, the national championships that he's won, the teams that he's put together. This is, this is funny. This but is funny. we're talking about one game here. Yeah, this is funny. If we go coaching, if we go coaches, head coaches, then, then each coordinator. If we go head coach, I'm going to go with Alabama. I'm going to go with a guy that's proven. I'm going to go with a guy that's been in this position before. I'm going to go with this guy that's usually in this position every damn near every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so he knows what to expect. He knows how to get the guys ready. He knows a lot of things that's going to be a first-time experience for Ryan Day. Ryan Day is going to get all the tips from the Urbans and the Coach Trussells and all that stuff going into this game because they've been there before. But nothing speaks better than experience than experience. Right. And Nick Saban is the I – mean, he has all the experience in the world when it comes to national championship games. But – if we go to play callers, offensive coordinators, I'm going to go with Ryan Day mm-hmm. over Sarkeesian. Yeah. You know, and then defense coordinators, I'm also going with uh, Kerry Combs over, um, I forgot their defense coordinator name, um, just because of the the poor tackling I've seen from Alabama this year. I'm kicking that door down. I'm, I'm taking Ryan Day all day in this situation as a head coach, as the coordinator. <laughs> I love him as a motivator. I yeah. love him. I mean, what he showed me a couple of years ago when he took over for Urban, he got the guys to buy in. Yeah. And when you get guys to buy in on a fly, I get you're at Ohio State. Everybody wants to win a national championship. But it's not easy to get guys to buy in and to believe in what you're saying to them. And then to be able to go and take over as the head coach the following year and still get them to believe in and showing it's not just a fluke type situation. I'm taking Ryan, man. And what he showed me last week is his ability to be able to adjust, to be able to understand that Whatever I have that's hot, I'm going to ride it, and then I'm going to, you know, deviate from that uh, accordingly. Give me Ryan, man, in those situations. I'm looking forward to the battle because you got, you know, both coaches respectively on their side of the ball. Ryan's an offensive guy, Saban's a defensive guy. Mm-hmm. So even though D- uh, Saban's not calling defense, I'm pretty sure he's going to be heavily involved in some influence when it comes to defensive personnel and play calling and, and things like that versus Ryan Day, who got the, all the keys to the offense, going to be calling it. You know, 24-7. So, I'm excited to see that matchup. Um, this hopefully is the first of uh, many, many more to come between those two. And uh, we'll see, man. But I got the Buckeyes overall, the better team. Yes. And, I, and I got them uh, winning this game. So Yeah, I got Ohio State winning this game too, man. Uh, I'm going to throw out a score out there, man. You know, just because I, I got to. I'm going to feel real confident in this score. Last week I was 31-25. Um, Ohio State superseded that. So, I'm going Buckeyes 42 Alabama, 30. Ooh, I thought you was going to say the score from the Sugar Bowl in 2014-15. What was that, 42 what? 42-35. I got the Buckeyes. Um, I, I think it would be a good game. I got I got Buckeyes, 38, and I got Alabama, 28. Ooh, man. 
gonna be a nice matchup, man. I can't wait for it to happen. I can't wait for it to, you know, showdown to to, to to be here. I think I may be going to Miami just to be in the be in the atmosphere, yeah. just to feel yeah. the feel yeah. the Buckeye juices and, yeah. and, and flowing yeah. through my veins, man, down there. Um, that's a wrap on the show, man. Appreciate it. Oh, my real my Browns, my Browns. Oh man, they're in the playoffs. Yeah, they're in the playoffs, but coachless. Our head coach is out with the vid. With the vid. Oh, oh my, my God. Hopefully, they don't take him out. Man, I, I certainly <laughs> hope not, man. I hope that that's not the case. Dude, sorry, real quick. One of the things I thought was super impressive, right, was Herb Street calling the game from the crib. Did you see a setup? Yeah. All the TVs, everything yeah. that he had there. Now, and I'm only bringing this up because I thought it was super impressive for him to do it and to not have any delay. I can't help but think the Browns can similar, have a similar situation with – their head coach, and him calling a game from the crib. You so, can. Cleveland, make it happen. Yeah. Make but it happen, I think man. NFL rule, you can't. I don't think you can have any contact. NFL or college, one or the other, if the coach is out, he can't have any contact with the guys on the field. Oh, so that's crazy as yeah, heck. It's a, in a, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think it's college. Yeah, college is a big one that you can't. Especially with it not even being no crazy certainly. I mean, he's sick. Yeah. If he can still figure out a way to coach and get the plays in, come on. But – that's a wrap on the show, man. Appreciate you guys. Tune in next week to Beanie and Cardell and go enjoy some Raising Canes. Right, go Bucks.